0: Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. All right, so tonight we embark on a journey five weeks into the compelling evidence of Jesus' deity. This is a topic that is that I'm passionate about. I believe it is it's all it's always been important but in the, in the present day that we live, I think it is going to be more needed as far as practical application. And I'll, I'll just say this. We live in a time when the average individual, the average Christian, the average teenager, could very easily stumble across a video on Facebook, or YouTube, or TikTok, where the deity of Christ is questioned. And I've personally seen this in my own feed. I have watched videos from Muslim, basically their version of an evangelist or an apologist, where they are attempting to debunk the divinity of Jesus. And they do so by referencing generally three or so passages in the new testament they oversimplify them they misinterpret them and they are uh they with boldness declare that jesus is not divine and then of course they have their own their own sales pitch on becoming a muslim so this is something that is i think at least from my perception it's increasing uh and it's something that we need to be equipped so i believe all of Doctrine and theology is not just to have an intellectual, enjoyable moment in our own mind, but it is, it is to specifically build us up, equip us, and ultimately transform our lives. Um, I believe that, that the realities of the specifics and, the, and the, the core foundation of especially something like the divinity of Jesus is very, very, very practical. It definitely can and should uh, empower our Christian walk in dynamic ways. So tonight is part one of five. Um, Tonight we will be talking about how Jesus shares the same honors that only God deserves. I'll just start in in, uh, paragraph A. The deity of Christ is among the most central and foundational truths found in Christianity. Yes, yes. If Jesus' deity is stripped away from Christianity, we are left with nothing but moral teachings from a man who lived and died. Yes? So every other religion was started by men who claimed to have encountered angels, seen visions, or obtained some higher consciousness through other spiritual experiences. The truth of Jesus' deity sets him apart from every other religious leader undeniably So Christianity alone among the world religions was founded by God in person So you can you can believe a proclamation like that by faith? You can just say by faith. I believe that Christianity was birthed from God God became a man you can take that statement and just by faith say yes, I believe it and obviously our faith is, is that. There are, there are leaps of faith in our heart where we have to reach out and say, I believe, without necessarily an underlying intellectual understanding of what supports that statement. So if, if Jesus is not God, we would be fools to pray to Him as God and greater fools to expect any form of salvation salvation or deliverance from him like this is how important it is if Jesus is not God then we are fools to say that he is we are fools to pray prayers to a man that isn't God that died 2,000 years ago so our faith it really is built around this reality, this confident proclamation that Jesus is the Son of God, He is Yahweh in the flesh, He is fully God, fully man, and He is available to do what He said He was going to do, transform our hearts. Uh, So this class, the content, the framework of this teaching, this is... Kind of the one time that i know of in my own life of teaching and preaching this is the one time where i take a framework directly out of a book and i use it as a as a as a means to to talk about the, the content um, so this framework comes basically from my christology 2 class in bible college I had a couple books that I was required to read for that class, one of them being Putting Jesus in His Place by Robert Bowman Jr. and J. Ed Komazuski, and then also Jesus and the God of Israel by Richard Bauckham. So both of these books, this is the book that has the acronym that I'll be using, but this book basically talks about this uh, they don't use an acronym but it it talks about the same the same realities um so i really found this uh, all right side note i hate acronyms like i really do like i i've never enjoyed a preacher like you know having a little powerpoint like having a few points and an acronym to Tell me this or that like it's, it's always bugged me. It's it's not just like it's not just that I don't use the acronym I just it bugs me. I, I don't like them so now you know something about me but There is a, a, a shiny rock in that river. I, I, I love this acronym because for uh, Well, I it was 2009 I believe that I took this class so ever since 2009 I can, you could ask me any time of year, even if I haven't picked up this book in 18 months, you could ask me, talk to me about the de- deity of Jesus, and I can immediately say, Jesus is God because He shares the honors that are due to God, He possesses the same attributes that God possesses, He, he, he is called by the same names that God is named, He does the same deeds that God can only do, and He sits on the same seat that God sits on, namely His throne. So that is an acronym, HANDS. H for honors, A for attributes, N for names, D for deeds, and S for seat. So there is an acronym that has stuck with me. Um, So I'm going to use that framework, that acronym, to really begin to dive into the Scriptures Uh, And to talk about the deity of Christ. So tonight we are just talking about Jesus sharing the same honors that are due only to God. So the practice of giving Jesus divine honor, worship, and devotion was core to Christian belief within two decades of Jesus' death and resurrection. So we have to understand that... The Jewish faith was a monotheistic faith where every day they would quote the Shema and they would say that God is one. So the reality that the the Jewish faith believes that there is a singular God is, I mean, there really couldn't be much of anything more foundational than that in their belief system. And yet Jesus comes onto the scene and without skipping a beat, the apostles and the disciples and those that are, that are saved in that context, without skipping a beat, they begin to give Jesus the honor that was only due to Yahweh.
1: So Jesus began to be honored and worshipped in ways that are explicitly described in Jewish teaching
0: as only belonging to God himself. In other words, the Old Testament makes clear that only God is to be worshipped. Only God, the only one true God, is to be sang to, and only Yahweh the true God is to be prayed to. This was a belief that early Christians believed, and yet they worshipped Jesus, they sang songs to Jesus, and they prayed to Jesus. So every distinguishing honor that only belongs to God according to scripture is seen being, being given to Jesus throughout the New Testament. Every single one. As we progress through many examples, it will become evident that Jesus' deity has a firm foundation in the earliest beliefs and practices among the first Christians. So we can either have a vague belief that Jesus is God, or we can understand why we believe it and have enough clarity to be able to share it with others. And that's the thrust of this teaching. Let us be equipped. Hopefully all of these verses are vaguely familiar to us. But it's a whole other thing to be able to, when we read past a verse, we say, wow, this verse is speaking about Jesus' divinity. And I can give you a reason why. So John 5, 21-23, it says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. That is a level of authority and power that no man on earth has ever possessed. Being able to give life to whomever you wish. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. So if God is judged, this is a little bit of a side note because I'll be talking about this in another session. But here we have multiple examples in one passage. If God is judge, did God suddenly not become judge by handing off the, the that 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 uh, that practice of judging? Did God the Father, did Yahweh, suddenly no longer become a judge because He says, "I no longer judge"? Jesus judges. Or is God always judge regardless of whether or not it's the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit?
1: So he says he has given
0: all judgment to the Son. That wasn't God saying, I'm never going to judge again. I gave it to some human being that walked the earth. I mean, I suppose that would make a lot of people happy. God is no longer judge, he gave it away! He gave it to a man that lived and died. But obviously we know that's not true. So anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Anyone who does not honor Jesus does not honor the Father who sent Him. That is a powerful statement. That is saying that the devotion, the worship, the prayer, the adoration of the Father... God won't even receive it unless we include Jesus into the, into the mix. Jesus has to be acknowledged as the one that the Father sent. So Jesus is sharing the honor and the worship that only God deserves. And this is probably a new term for, for many of you, a doxology. Have you ever heard that term? Doxology. So a doxology is a stylized prayer of praise to God that glorifies and honors God in a way that only God alone deserves. So let's look at one of these. First Chronicles 29, 10-11. David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth yours is the dominion o lord and you exalt yourself as head over all that's a doxology it is a stylized declaration this stylized prayer this declaration of praise describing who god is but here we see in second peter 318 It says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. That is also a doxology. So here we have in the New Testament them honoring Jesus in the same exact way that they were to honor Jesus. Yahweh in the Old Testament. So they are giving that praise, that glory, to Jesus. And we also see the disciples worshiping Jesus. So Jesus believed that God was the only proper object of worship. Jesus. So Jesus, as a man walking the earth, believed that God was the only one that you were supposed to worship. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13 when Satan was seeking to receive worship from Jesus. So page 3, Matthew 4.10. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, it is written, he is quoting Deuteronomy 6.13, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. So Jesus believed that only Yahweh was to be worshipped. And yet the book of Matthew has two passages that clearly show Jesus himself as the object of divine worship. So in Matthew 28, 17, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So how many of you know Jesus could have rebuked them and said, Hey, don't worship me. Right, there are examples in heaven or in, in the Bible where people have encountered angels, and the angels like, No, like gives them a correction, slaps them across the face, No, don't worship me, worship God only. So here we have the same type of thing played out when Jesus was walking the earth, he is receiving honor, he's receiving that that worshipful stance of acknowledging who God, who, who Jesus is. And then it says, some were doubtful. So it's like, they're like, I want to honor this man, Jesus, as God. I, I want to acknowledge something in him that I can't acknowledge in anyone else. And there's doubt. There's a little bit of doubt. They're like, it's never been done before. We've never, we've never worshipped a man as God. And what's Jesus' response? He's like giving them extra reason to worship him. Instead of correcting him and rebuking him, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he's reaffirming the rightness of receiving divine honor and worship. Instead of rebuking him for saying, do not worship me, worship God only. I mean, I I hope, like, on the one hand, this is like a... There's a lot of data there's a lot of information it's it's academic, but man, this can awaken a heart. this can set our heart ablaze if we allow it to. this reality like this this is stunning this is not this is something completely new this reality that the the, the, the Jewish faith was transitioning into receiving their savior obviously not all of them but a subset of the jewish people are receiving jesus as savior and they're learning how to transition they're like for generations we only worship yahweh we only pray to yahweh we only give adoration to yahweh we only obey yahweh we only he's the only one god is one And there's this divine transition of where they're receiving revelation that this man that's walking the earth is somehow divine. And they're learning how to interact with that. They're learning how to, in their heart, begin to acknowledge the divinity of Jesus and give him the worship that he is due. And in them learning how to do that, Jesus is like, you got it. I have all authority, it's been given to me, keep keep it coming. Grow in confidence in worshiping me. We also see the angels worshiping Jesus. Here in Hebrews 1.6, we see God Himself commanding all the angels to worship Jesus. So this is not just a passive commentary, saying the angels happened to worship Jesus at His birth. But instead, instead, it shows God intended Jesus to be worshipped by all the angels. This command is also a quotation from the Old Testament, where the angels were commanded to worship God. So understand the parallel. In the Old Testament, the angels are commanded to worship God. And here in Hebrews 1.6, as a quotation of the Old Testament, the angels are commanded to worship Jesus. Hebrews 1.6, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, God says, and let all the angels of God worship him. I mean, if we have eyes to see, we will see not one, not two, not three, not 12, not 36. We will see hundreds of examples from Scripture that support the core Christian belief that Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. Jesus is God, and we are to worship Him, we are to sing to Him, we are to praise Him, we are to pray to Him in the same way that uh, the Old Testament commanded the people of God to worship and pray and serve Yahweh. So when angels worshiped Satan, what happened? They became demons. When angels worship Jesus, they did it for a reason. And there was no transition. They were not kicked out of heaven for worshiping Jesus. Not only were they not kicked out, the Father commanded them to worship Jesus. So in the end, everyone will worship Jesus. So this is a quote from John Stott. It says nobody can call himself a Christian who does not worship Jesus. To worship him if he is not God is idolatry. To withhold worship from him if he is God is apostasy. Like that's why the deity of Christ is so central. If you are falsely worshipping a man as God, you you're in deep trouble before the creator of heaven and earth but if God sent his only son as God himself in the flesh commanded the angels to worship him commands us to worship him and we say no then we are also in some deep trouble so Philippians 2.10 It says, through 11, it says, So that, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. I mean, this is stunning. There there are men that come and go on the earth that gain big followings and everyone thinks they're the, the best thing since sliced bread. But God the Father is saying every generation that has ever walked the earth, every culture, every ethnic group, every human being that has ever been birthed will bow their knee to Jesus. All of them no matter their culture, no matter how long they lived, no matter their influence, no matter their power, no matter their struggles, no matter their strengths, every knee will bow to Jesus. Like that is such a stunning statement. This is not just like the Muslims say, oh, Jesus was a prophet. One of many, and not even the greatest one. Here we have this reality that every generation, every generation, every every individual, at the name of Jesus, their knee will bow. So New Testament believers also prayed to Jesus as God. As Stephen was being martyred, he prayed to who? To Jesus. Acts 7, 59-60, it says, "...they went on stoning Stephen." As he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So he had full confidence in dying. He had full confidence not to just call out to any name, not just to say, Yahweh, help me. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he's also asking Jesus to not hold sin against someone else. And what a massive statement. If Jesus just lived and died as a prophet, like we're not praying to Elijah or Elisha or Jeremiah and saying, don't hold my grandma's sin against me or don't hold this, this, you know, whatever, this... this it, group of people that's persecuting me, that's killing me, don't hold their sin against you. I mean, there have been some amazing prophets that God raised up, but none of them have the power to do anything in relation to sin. Not a single one. No matter their anointing, no matter their influence, no matter how, much, how many people they raised from the dead, or no, no matter what they have on their resume they can do absolutely nothing in relation to sin committed against us or sins that we commit. They have no power, no authority in heaven and on earth to forgive sins. And yet Stephen is crying out to Jesus, saying, Receive my spirit, and do not hold this sin against them. Like Again, if we have eyes to see, this is stunning. Paul defines Christians as those who pray to Jesus as Lord. First 1 Corinthians 1-2 to the church of God which is at Corinth to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours they were praying to Jesus they didn't have telephone them back then y'all They were calling on the name of Jesus. They were not sending emails or tweets or Facebook messages or DMs or anything else. They had no access to Jesus. This is post-death. Jesus was not alive, and yet it says, this group, this church of God, those who have been sanctified in Christ... So we are sanctified, we are set apart to God by Christ, and this group of people are in every place, all over, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not calling on Jeremiah, they're not calling on Isaiah, they're not calling on Moses, they're not calling on any other patriarch or prophet, they are calling on the name of Jesus, in the same way that the Old Testament says, That we are to cry out to the lord so new testament believers worshiped jesus through song you ever wondered if how biblical worship is using the name of jesus in our worship the old testament jewish understanding was that yahweh the lord god was to be sung to paul takes this jewish understanding and directs songs of worship toward jesus Ephesians five eighteen through twenty Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things, in whose name? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Again, the the Jewish monotheism of the Old Testament, they are just taking Jesus and pulling Him right into that reality and saying, "This this is God in the flesh. And because He's being pulled into this Jewish monotheism, He is equally deserving of worship. So much so that we should have Melodies and songs in our hearts that are in the name of Jesus. Stunning. How many psalms, this is, this is a cool quote, how many psalms and how many songs which from the beginning were written by pious brothers sing about Christ as the Logos of God and confess His Godhood. So this is an undeniable quote.
1: This was from AD
0: 200.
1: This, this is an, an unknown, unknown Christian, Christian and, and
0: it was, was written, written down, down by, by Eusebius, Eusebius in, in, church in church history. So, AD two hundred, he is writing down for hundreds of thousands and, and thousands of years in the future. He's documenting that by AD two hundred, there was more songs written declaring the Godhead of Jesus. That he says there was a plethora. It was everywhere. They were all, they were all singing about the Godhead of Jesus. I mean, this is stunning. Guys, are you falling asleep? Like, do you feel this? Do you feel this at the beginning, the, the birthing of Christianity? It was well established from the beginning. That this man Jesus was unique. He was not simply a prophet of old. He was God in the flesh. And and therefore, we can't help but worship Him. We can't help but, but proclaim and write songs in His name. And pray in His name. And if we get martyred, the name of Jesus is the name that, that is on our lips. So New Testament believers are also to put their faith in Jesus. The purpose of john's gospel was to spread people's faith in jesus john 20 verse 31 these have been written so the the book of john these have been written so that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god like that was the purpose the purpose of the book not just documenting random historical things that happened it was specifically an evangelistic thing of, of convincing us that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in His name. Life in His name. How many things do you believe that like, they're not just generally beneficial to believe, just facts that you believe, but like actually things you believe that give you life. There's things I believe that generally help me. I mean, it's nice to know how to fix something or how something works. But faith in Jesus is something different. Faith in Jesus is not just a random fact about history that we believe to be true. Faith in Jesus is to give us life in His name. Life from the dead. Our spirit being reborn. So Jesus expected His followers to unconditionally put their faith in Him. Guys, this is off the charts. John eleven twenty five through 26 Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. Do you believe this? I mean, these, these verses, I'm not like picking out some secret verses from a secret gospel that just got discovered six months ago. Like, these are verses that are in all of our Bibles. And it's, it's, it's fresh bread. It's stunning to see this. Jesus expected his followers to unconditionally put their faith in him. I mean, again, take a look back at the the Old Testament. The prophets were sent to to call Israel back to who? The prophets were not sent to call Israel back to them. To say, hey, I've got the words of life. Come follow after me. My name is Ezekiel, or my name is, is Elijah or Elisha. The prophets were sent to call Israel back to Yahweh so that they would obey him, so that they would worship him, so that their devotion would be to him. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, he's not just saying, believe in Yahweh of the Old Testament. He's like, I am Yahweh of the Old Testament. Believe in me. So Jesus is the I am of Exodus 3. So page (laughs) 5. Uh, John 8, 24. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, and if you look in the Greek, the He is not there. It's literally, if you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Like, are you getting this? He says, you will die in your sins, Unless you believe that I am Yahweh. Like when God revealed himself in Exodus 3. And then I, I think Exodus 6 also. In Exodus 3, he says, that, that Moses is saying, who, who do I say you are? How do I communicate you to the people in bondage in Egypt? How do I communicate you to my people? And God says, i am i am that i am that's who you shall say delivered you and then here in john jesus is saying you're going to die in your sins unless you believe that i am like there is a reason why the jewish leaders were claiming that jesus was blaspheming there was no question in their mind that jesus was claiming something that no other prophet had claimed, that no other miracle worker or God-fearer or anything else had ever claimed. He was claiming to be God. And if you, if you look in, this, in the context of John 8, they want to stone him because of this statement. They wanted to stone Jesus to immediately bring an end to his life because they knew that he was claiming something that in their mind was impossible. How can you possibly claim to be Yahweh in the flesh? So Exodus 3.14, it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has has sent me to you. So New Testament believers are also to fear Jesus. So all of these statements that I'm saying so far, they all fall under this category of honor. We honor God by fearing Him. We honor God by putting faith in Him. We honor God by singing to Him. We honor God by praying to Him. So the New Testament believers are to fear Jesus. (laughs) From the beginning... The Bible has declared that God is to be feared, not man. Deuteronomy 10:20. "You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and cling to Him, and you shall swear by His name. Jesus becomes the object of reverence and fear in the same way that God is to be reverenced and feared. So second Corinthians 5:10 through11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of who? Of Christ. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. So Jesus is becoming an object of fear. The fear of the Lord and the fear of Jesus Christ are synonymous. We see that in Ephesians 5.21. It says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Like, you, 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 if, if we're not looking closely, we'll run past these phrases and not understand their connection to the Old Testament. But once we see, once we see, it's like once you... You know, have you ever, you know, you, you buy a car of a certain color or a certain shape and you never thought that was significant and then it's like you buy it and then every other car you see driving out, like, oh, a yellow car or a red van or whatever it is. It's like once you have eyes to see, you can't unsee it. So once we see these phrases, like, wait a second, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on, put the brake on. We see these phrases all over the Bible. Fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. And then we see in the New Testament, fear Christ. Like that that should speak to our hearts and say, oh my. They're interchangeable. Like Jesus is to be 100% treated the same way that Yahweh was to be treated of the Old Testament. So New Testament believers are also to serve Jesus. (laughs) When the devil tempted Jesus to worship him, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.13. This makes clear that religious service is only to be done toward the Lord. Matthew 4.10. Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In light of religious service being exclusive to deity, we find both the Lord's Supper and baptism as religious, as religious rites and services that are focused on Jesus. So we are to serve Yahweh only. And yet in Acts 2:38 it says Peter said to them, "Repent each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins." And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, even religious rites, religious acts of service, are now suddenly in the New Testament. Jesus becomes the center, and that is stunning. So, New Testament believers, as if that wasn't enough, I mean, I'll tell you what: the 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 Muslims on YouTube and Facebook and whatever and whatever other anti-religious group out there, anti-Christ group out there wants to say that there's not reason enough to declare that Jesus is God. I mean, these reasons just keep coming. New Testament believers are to love and obey Jesus in the same way that only God is to be loved and obeyed. So Deuteronomy 11.1. Only God deserves absolute devotion. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, and His commandments. <coughs> and then in um, Matthew ten thirty-seven, Jesus demands absolute devotion because He is God. Here we see, it says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Like, if, if, if Jesus is not God, then he was the most blasphemous man that ever walked the earth. John 14, 21 says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. Again, the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God. Keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances. And then Jesus is like, yep, that's mine. Those are my statutes, my ordinances. You are to love me. Are, are you seeing just the beginning, like that, we're still on H, guys. This is just within the category of honor, of Jesus receiving the same honor that, G, that, God, that the God of Israel was commanded to receive. The worship, the adoration, the prayer, the, the service, the religious rites, all of, the, all of these things, the Old Testament is so explicit you only worship the one true god yahweh and then in the new testament he's like it's me i'm jesus i'm here in the flesh i'm the one that can forgive your sins i am the one you're to bow to to worship it's my name it's my glory it's my worth it is absolutely stunning so praise the lord so god we pray Lord, that the truth of Your Word would never simply be stuck in our head. Father, we pray that the revelation of who You are in Scripture would cause our own hearts to grow in devotion, our own hearts to grow in worship, our own confidence in praying in Your name, our confidence in singing the name of Jesus, Father, I pray that this would grow, God, that our revelation of who you are, Lord, would be strengthened so that our life would flesh it out, God, so that we would walk it out with our hearts, with our eyes, with our acts of service, with our devotion, with our obedience. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would continue to give us revelation of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. you for joining us this week. Until next time.